This podcast was recorded on Friday, April 27th, 2018. The views and opinions expressed herein are of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of DoubleLine Capital or its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or All right, everybody. Welcome to The Sherman Show. I'm here today with my co-host, Sam Lau. Hey, hey. And today we have a special guest, uh, media personality and host of CNBC's Fast Money Halftime Report, Scott Wapner. Uh, welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, we've got Scott dialing in from the other side of the country today. We're sitting out here in Los Angeles, and we wanted to really just uh, get into the personality here and uh, kind of turn the tables. Um, you know, Scott, you, you get to interview everybody all the time. So uh, it'd be, it's kind of interesting for us to turn it around and, and give you the chance to uh, answer the questions for one. All right, let's, <laughs> let's do it. We call it other way around bro around here when we flip the script. So what we want to do is start off with, um, you know, getting on your background. How did you get into the financial media? Uh, what was the path that took you uh, that direction? By accident, really. I um, I never in a million years thought that I would be a financial journalist. I thought I was going to be the next great sports reporter like Howard Cosell or Bob Costas or something like that. But I got a lucky break uh, coming out of college where I, you know, when I was in college, I did uh, internships and things like that and all around the sports broadcasting area. And I did some freelance writing uh, for a newspaper, for a wire service, all sports related. And I got out of school down in Florida, came back home, and my neighbor, uh, of all people, happened to be the news director of a syndicated business news program. So he offered me a job uh, doing pretty much everything but um, sweeping the floor and cleaning the toilet. So I took it and, um, you know, I just did that job for a couple of years. And that led to another job in finance. And uh, lo and behold, I got to CNBC and the rest is history. Well, nice. Um, so was it your goal to sweep the floors and clean the toilets too? Were you disappointed not to be able to do that? Or um, was that was that an upgrade from what you were looking for? It was, a, yes, it was a big disappointment. I, 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 I fought for the job description to to be amended to include that, but he, he unfortunately wouldn't do it. It probably would have earned me more money because I wasn't making very much in that, in that first job. It is kind of funny you said you stumbled into it because a lot of folks we talked to in the business in general, both sides, you know, when we talk about personalities, we talk about um, investors, uh, a lot of people stumble in into the industry. Uh, given your experience with some of the guests you've had, um, what, do you, what do you think is that kind of common factor that people just kind of stumble into this industry versus, you know, be, uh, there's a lot of people obviously that have focused from being a child, picking stocks since they were six years old and the like. Uh, but, you know, what do you think is it that it's, it becomes this coincidental type of uh, career for a lot of folks? Look, I mean, obviously, the draw of, I think it's, um, you know, the draw of the money is is interesting. Um, I think how much more high profile finance has become because you now have TV outlets covering it 24-7, no matter where you are, just like you, you know, have had ESPN and, and other sports networks covering the the game, so to speak. Now you have the same thing. So, you know, people have much more exposure to it. You know, I don't know from uh, from a stock picking standpoint. You know, I know some of the people 
that I've had on my show didn't necessarily see Wall Street as their future, including some of the biggest guests that I've had. Bill Ackman, for example, got a, got his start in his father's commercial real estate business and really wasn't that interested in, in Wall Street uh, until sort of graduate school at, at Harvard. Carl Icahn, you know, was a philosophy major at Princeton. His parents wanted him to be a doctor, but he was, you know, really good with numbers. And it just turned out through, you know, a break here or there with a, a family, an uncle who was already well done for himself on Wall Street, you know, helped Carl get, get into the business. And, you know, again, look where he is now. So, you know, I don't know. It's, um, you know, by luck, by chance, I, I'm not sure, you know, what people have, have, you know, years ago thought about a career on Wall Street. I think it was, you know, different back then versus now. The business has changed so much now. But, you know, even as I said, the examples that I've given, you know, turn back the clock 30 years, 40 years, and people like Carl Icahn may not have been in this business if, if not for a, a couple of other little turns that could have happened in his career. Yeah. So do you think part of the celebrity comes from having access to these media outlets then? It's not just that there's always been famed investors or people that, that have done quite well and made a name for themselves. But is it perhaps just the, the celebrity of the United States, how we, we promote celebrities in general? And it's a, a new kind of genre or a new era, I should say, of, of folks just having these personalities and people want to hear from billionaires. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Outlets like CNBC, for example, it's, you know, we, we've certainly helped make these people into um, the sort of masters of the universe personas. And absolutely, we've, we've, you know, helped make them into, into celebrities in, in their own right. And they've certainly, you know, have done their part to do that as well. You know, whenever they, they have a big idea, they're certainly more than willing to come on television and talk about it, knowing, you know, the impact that they're going to have or the impact that that's going to have on their, on their own um, careers, as well as what it's going to do for, for us. Right. I like that you say the phrase masters of the universe, uh, kind of a phrase that is associated with Titans in finance. So you, you mentioned uh, uh, Bill Ackman and Carl Icahn. Um, I know that you have a book forthcoming probably by the time this podcast gets out, it'll be um, on the New York Times bestseller list already. Uh, but what, what motivated you to write a book about the kind of vociferous debate between uh, Mr. Icon and Mr. Ackman? Well, I lived it. I lived the, 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 the battle between these two people. Um, you know, it spilled out on live television during my, my show. Who knew that was going to happen? And then I just sort of lived the story. Every twist and turn of the fight over Herbalife seemed to happen on my show, or I was in the middle of it, reporting on it from, from both sides. And I always thought about writing a book. And if I ever was going to write a book, this was the only book to write for me. Maybe you can give our, our, our listeners a little bit of background for those that uh, didn't live through that uh, drama. And I'm going to use the, the, the word drama there because it, it did spill over many shows. Like you said, you're in the middle of it. Maybe you could kind of... Uh, paraphrase or give a little bit of background on, on what actually, how, how this story uh, materialized. Well, Bill had done a big uh, presentation on his short, his billion dollar short on Herbalife. And it was a big splashy special event that he had arranged and he invited, you know, hundreds of people to show up at this um, event center in Manhattan. 
for the event, and he knew that it was gonna gonna draw a, a lot of attention on television. So it was this big to do, and then he sort of dropped the bomb uh, and said he had this billion dollar short against Herbalife, and you know what he didn't realize at the time was that Carl Icahn and his people were watching that and were sort of incredulous at how Bill got up on that stage and said he was short a billion dollars, twenty percent of the of the float, and you know sort of the audacity to get up on stage and do it publicly and call the company out and you know what what few people knew at the time was that Bill and Carl had had a falling out over a business transaction of 10 years prior where um Car uh, Bill had won a court uh, decision for you know several million dollars that you know Icon fought and appealed and and fought and appealed and uh, ultimately had to pay um so there was animus that was uh, under the surface there for about a decade. And when, you know, Carl and his people saw Bill up on the stage and it was uh, crushing Herbalife stock, uh, they started buying the stock uh, on the very same day. So you immediately had these Titans on, on, you know, opposite sides. And, you know, there were rumors in the market that, that Icon was going to get long Herbalife, but he would never really confirm it. Uh, I just happened to be, walking by a desk on the newsroom floor at CNBC and I saw Carl Icahn being interviewed on another network and he was just tearing into Ackman. I mean, he was just ripping him a new one. I'd never seen anything like it before. So I, I stopped and I was standing there at this desk and I was watching it and I was like, holy cow, this is unbelievable. I can't believe, I mean, he was just tearing him up. And I didn't know either Icon uh, nor Ackman at that point. I, I had never met uh, either one of them or spoken with with either one of them. Maybe I had spoken with Carl once um, on the phone, but I didn't know him from anybody. So I saw this going on. I went back to my desk and I emailed Ackman, uh, just cold emailed him, uh, asking him if he wanted to respond to what Icon was saying. And I never heard back uh, for you know several hours. Later that night, I had a dinner with a friend in Manhattan, and I was sitting in the uh, in a bar at the hotel in the Upper East Side waiting for my friend uh, when Ackman emailed me and said he was going to send me a, a, a statement, uh, and he would send it to me first. So I was like, okay, I think, you know, I got something here. The guy's going to respond. I ended up calling him from the bar and said, you know, why don't you just come on my show tomorrow? And... And you can just refute what he said on the air. And he said, sure, I'll do that. So here I am thinking I've got this great thing. I alert everybody about it. It seems to be, you know, it's going to be a moment. And Bill calls me back a few minutes later and says, yeah, you know what? This whole thing's a sideshow. I'll come on your, your show another time when I have something more substantive to talk about. I said, okay, you know, whatever. I tried to play, you know, play it cool. Like I wasn't going to beg him to come on, uh, obviously. Um, so we left it at that. He called me back a few minutes later and said, screw it, you know, uh, I'll do it. So, you know, I, I knew I was going to interview Bill the next morning or at noon. So, you know, long story short, Bill calls in, we were broadcasting on the floor of the New York stock exchange from our new, uh, set down there, did a, an interview with, with Bill for, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes or so. And then, uh, they told me in my ear that Carl had called into the control room. And that he wanted to debate Ackman right there on the air. So, you know, I, I tried to gather, <laughs> gather myself, 
you know, the, the best I could, we, we, we took a quick break and, and we, you know, it's so funny. I, I remember a few things so vividly from that day. We take this break. I'm, I have Twitter open or tweet deck or, or whatever at that point. And I see a tweet from a colleague uh, that says, it just says, this is going to be good. Um, so we go to break, we come back and, you know, the rest is kind of history. They, they go into this, you know, near 30 minute, uh, slugfest, uh, as traders on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange or because they're on a delay, you know, they would insult each other. And then two seconds later, you would hear the oohs and the ahs of the traders on the floor of the stock exchange reacting to what they had said on live television. And it became a moment. It's probably the most activity that's been heard on the stock exchange floor is those oohs and ahs, right? With all the electronic trading these days, right? Yeah. No, it was crazy. I, I tell you, um, volume on the New York Stock Exchange floor, trading volume uh, at the stock exchange fell something like 20% during the th almost 30 minutes that these guys were battling it out. It was this crazy. No, I remember watching it. It was amazing. It was almost just like I was watching Geraldo or something with uh, you as the referee between the two. And I I've got to ask, is that the first time you've ever been called a bully or been accused of being a bully by a billionaire? Yeah, yeah for sure. That was the, the most interesting thing is, you know, I, I didn't know that, that Carl had spoken with a CNBC producer and told him that Bill was going to be on that you know, you may want to watch. So, you know, I, I, I just didn't know what was, what was really going on. And I was just asking the questions that I figured any, anybody would want to know the answer to. And, you know, uh, Carl had already made it clear sort of behind the scenes that, you know, he wasn't going to talk about certain things, but I didn't know that. So I was just doing my job and, you know, yeah, he, he, he got mad at me for a minute, but you know, when it was all over, I called him up and uh, we had dinner afterwards and sort of, you know, broke bread, if you will. You know, then he's, he's become uh, certainly one of my uh, better relationships, as has Bill, to be honest with you, in, in the business. So, you know, it, it all, it all had, had a strange beginning, for sure, just because I didn't know either one of them. And this event took on a life of its own. Next thing you know, everybody was talking about it and people knew who I was in ways that they didn't prior to that. And I, um, I use that for my advantage. I, I tried to reach out to as many big name investors as I possibly could uh, to introduce myself and let them know what my show was all about because I know that they had been watching the event. You know, It's one of those things where everybody still tells me I know where I was when, when that was going on. And, um, you know, I tried to build relationships with people based on that. And people suddenly return my phone call or return my email. And it helped me get a, a stable of really great relationships and, and sources in the business. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, some of my colleagues were saying there's an interesting story about how you met Double Line CEO Jeffrey Gunlock. Uh, is, is there some uh, interesting story behind that? Uh Man, I'm trying to remember. Hopefully, not quite as interesting as the the way you met Ackman and Icon. No, uh, Jeffrey wasn't uh, yelling at me. Uh, thankfully, um, I think <laughs> I think we met. I think we met at a conference. I, I honestly don't remember. Um, but we we got along right away. I mean, I think you know, I I, I really appreciate you know, Jeffrey's uh, intellect 
and I like I like the back and forth uh, with him. You you always sort of find out or end up smarter than you were prior to having the conversations with him. He just has a really in- incredible brain, uh, and I, I like I like sparring with him on on key topics, getting his point of view. And he's a market mover. You know, those people are rare. There aren't that many people whose words can literally move the market. He I, he's definitely on that list. Yeah, I, I've noticed that uh, during his interviews or the interviews that you guys have together, discussions you have, uh, he seems to give you a nickname out there. Uh, I think it's called Judge. What do you think about having the, the Judge nickname from Mr. Gunlock? Yeah, um, well, people have been calling me the Judge since college. So it was just one of those things for obvious reasons. Judge Wapner, People's Court, um, you know, for those people who are old enough to uh, remember that show and Judge Wapner. It just was one of those things that, that people started calling me that in college, and I never, I never really um, talked about it much when I came to CNBC. But the late uh, great Mark Haynes, uh, who you know had a, a a nickname for a lot of different people, he started calling me uh, the Judge. Uh, every time I'd see him, you know, he'd be like, "Here come the Judge," uh, and it just stuck. And then everybody, you know, it just became one of those things. If people on the show started calling me that, and um, you know, I, I like it. It's it's fun, and uh, I love that Jeffrey does that. Probably more than he knows, but I I absolutely love when uh, when I say Jeffrey, it's it's great to have you on, and he's like, "Great to be here, Judge." Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I get a kick out of it. Yeah, um, it reminds me um, again uh, the movie Rain Man, right? Where uh, the the character played by Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Believe me, I get. Yeah, I'm sure you I, get all those. Right? Yeah. I get that a lot too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ten minutes to Wapner. Five, five minutes to Wapner. Okay. One minute to Wapner. Yeah, I, I think Sam was actually saying that prior to the podcast around around the trading desk this morning. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so I probably never get. At least doesn't. At least doesn't get old to us, you know. So how, how do you prepare for these personalities you have in there? Uh, sometimes you probably have obstinate guests, you know, that you're trying to pull information out of them or trying to, you know, uh, make it somewhat entertaining. Uh, how do you think about preparing for these guests? I know you have, um, you know, producers and assistants that are helping you, but, you know, when it goes, the, the cameras are rolling, you got to think on your feet. You know, h- how do you get mentally ready for that? I, I just try and make sure that I'm never caught not knowing, you know, everything I can possibly know about the topic or, or how these people have generally felt about what they're coming on to talk about. I do a lot of research on my own past interviews, you know, the producers of the show obviously, you know, help me with, um, you know, the stuff that, that gets me prepared, but the stuff that makes the difference on, on whether I'm ready to do a good interview with those kinds of people or not, are the things that I've done on my own, you know, looking at, at past things they've said, I always try and anticipate when I do interviews with big name guests, you know, how they may answer my questions so that I'm ready to ask the, the right follow-up. You know, I think the, the battle between Bill and Carl was kind of the ultimate think on your feet moment. And, you know, I, I, I didn't thankfully overreact to the moment that was, that was taking place. I tried to remain as calm as I possibly could. You know, I didn't really have time to to get all worked up about what was going on. And it just sort of unfolded. I, I, it was like a sink or swim kind of a moment. And thankfully, I didn't sink. And, you know, every day when I have these people on, I just want to live up to the to the moment. You know, I know that there are going to be more eyeballs on it. And, 
you know, generally speaking, they're going to be, you know, big, big thinkers and have big points of view about things. I just try to anticipate what those are going to be and, and make sure that I'm prepared and, and knowledgeable enough on the topic to, to be able to respond and, and ask a, a follow-up in a, in a smart and insightful and critical way too. I, I like to, you know, I like, as I said before, I like the back and forth. You know, I don't like, I'm not into softball interviews. And I, I don't care who I'm interviewing. I'm not intimidated uh, by, you know, whether it's a billionaire or a millionaire or a thousandaire. I, I, I try and interview everybody the same way. I ask, you know, I try and ask hard questions, fair, tough but fair, and ask the appropriate follow-ups. I think I, and I think that's one of the reasons why, frankly, people um, come on with me the way they do. I think they enjoy that sort of interview as well. I don't think anybody's looking for a game of softball. And I'm certainly not. And, you know, it's it's worked out. Yeah, and we appreciate that. I mean, I know here on our team, you know, yours is one of the few segments that we actually turn the volume up on, you know, and it's part of it is the the mental jujitsu you have with with your guests. Part of it is the caliber of guests that you have on. And I know, you know, Jeffrey speaks highly of you. So, yeah, we definitely appreciate that. I wanted to ask, though, it's, you know, you're you're talking about the preparation and and the focus that it takes to, to have the bat you know, back and forth with the guests, but you sit pretty much in a zoo. I just wanted to find out, you know, what it's like reporting from the floor of the NYSE. I know Sherman and I were out there ourselves about a few months back to ring the bell and it's just, it's somewhat chaotic in the background and there you guys are, you know, in the middle of the floor just reporting with, with extreme focus. It's got to be tough. Well, I th- look, I've been in the life. Well, nah, I mean, maybe at the beginning it was, but you know, I look at it like you're the sideline reporter and then the game's going on all around you and, and you just, you know, again, trying to use the energy that's, that's on the floor, take that and, and, and run with it. You know, it's, I wouldn't be where I am right today with the platform that I have on the halftime report or even the position of writing the book had I not been a reporter on the floor of the stock exchange. You know, there's just... You just have to think on your feet. Um, things are happening all around you. You know, I was down on the floor during the flash crash. Things like that. You, you don't really have time to to sit there and you know think about all that's going on and why. And hey, get back to me in a half an hour, and I'll I'll come on TV and talk about it. It's like you know they 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 call down there and they say, okay, we need Wapner right now. You know, we're coming to him now. And you know, you you better be ready um, for that and being on the floor and navigating all of those situations that go on down there for better or worse. You know, the, the great times are, are fun. You know, the market's going, going way up. There's exuberance down there. And you're, again, you're watching a great event take place around you. You're just trying to, to report on, on what's happening and why, but then also it's, it's the times. And there used to be a joke, you know, when I was down on the floor that something, something happened, you know, there was some, some event happened. I always used to joke about it. I used to fill in on for Bob Pisani, you know, the great uh, floor reporter at Stock Exchange for CNBC. And every time it seemed that I filled in for Bob, something happened. You know, I don't know whether the market was up or it was down, but it was never just a, a calm market. And, you know, it sort of culminated. The flash crash was one of those moments that I had where people certainly that I, I worked with and, and my bosses kind of noticed it was, you know, things happened really fast. The next morning, I think all of, you know, the investment community was trying to figure out what exactly happened. 
And I ended up doing an interview with Bob Greifeld, who was running the NASDAQ at that time. And again, you know, I, I prepared my butt off for that interview. And I, I talked to, to a lot of people, um, both at, you know, I'll, I'll just say, um, behind the scenes of a lot of exchanges and tried to really arm myself with as much knowledge as I could possibly have so that, you know, when I sat down with this exchange CEO, that I was ready. And it turned out that I, I did a decent job uh, uh, during that interview. And uh, it's one of those one, it was one of those moments where I knew afterwards that I was sort of ready for, for the big time, if you will. I had proven, proven myself to others and to myself that I could handle the big, the big moment on the floor. Something was happening. Nobody knew what it was. Not only did I have to report on it, but the next morning I had to go sit down with, uh, you know, the head of an exchange and ask really tough questions and, and be ready uh, for the follow-ups and everything that happened afterwards. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've made a lot of parallels to the sports world. And I, it does, you know, there are a lot of similarities now that you, you've mentioned, I've been sitting there thinking about it, that it is the preparation. It's, it's talking about the big game. And, um, but the thing is, in the sports world, you know when the big game's coming. And um, it seems like um, in your experience, at least, it's been more along the lines of the the game. You never know when the game big game is going to happen. Right. You're, you're in you're uh, you're watching the game every day, but you never know exactly when that critical moment is. So uh, obviously the Ackman icon thing is a big, big moment in your career. Yeah. Um, talk about the flash crash. I mean, all of us remember that just watching the markets kind of melt down mm-hmm. uh, for for no apparent reason at the time. Uh, is there anything else that stands out as being very, very memorable as one of those days where you're very proud? Yeah, no, th- those are those types of moments. I mean, those are the two most most uh, memorable that, you know, it, I think we all in the in this business, whether you're a general news reporter or a finance reporter or a sports reporter, you know, you live for the moment that something big is is happening and you want to be in the thick of it. You know, you don't want to be sitting at your desk uh, while the big moment is happening down on the floor that you know everybody's going to be talking about. Um, You know, I remember I was fairly new to CNBC during 9-11 and I was making my way to New Jersey to where our headquarters are when everything was sort of unfolding on the radio, but I didn't really know what was going on. Like a lot of people, you know, you're, you're in a car you're hearing, you know, oh, the planes hit the the trade center, uh, and I I still sort of regret to this day crossing the bridge uh, into New Jersey. I remember looking south, and you you know you see the plumes of smoke uh, off of one of the the towers, and it just didn't really hit me at the time because um, no one knew what was going on really at that moment. That once I crossed the bridge, there was no going back. Uh, certainly not for that day. So you know, it, it it's sort of that's that was the story of our our time really, and not being able to cover it in any substantive, meaningful way was kind of depressing as a as a journalist, right? I mean, beyond the human tragedy of the whole thing, at, at that point, you don't know what the human tragedy is. Um, you're only thinking of it as you know something is going on, and you've just sort of taken yourself out of the game and there's no going back. It's kind of stuck. And, you know, you want to be 
you want to be at the 50-yard line. I mean, when everything's going on around you, you want to be there. That's the kind of stuff that drives me. I love the big story. I love the big interview. I like being in the thick of it. And um, that drives me every day. It truly does. The audio presentation represents Double Line's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without the expressed written permission of Double Line. Double Line has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from Double Line, please contact media at doubleline.com. Neither Double Line nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability therefore, including and respective direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. Double Line is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any Double Line entity or individual to that listener nor to constitute such person a client of any double-line entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. Copyright 2018, Double-Line Capital.